Amai, Haramai, and welcome to Here and Now, a podcast series where we discuss climate action and the steps that Auckland Council is taking to make our home everlasting. I'm Shbanthi Sinhalagay Fonseca, and I'll be asking the questions that matter. Join me as we speak to those closest to the action. We'll sit down in public places all over Tamaki Makoto, taking our conversation to the very spaces Auckland Council is looking to protect. So why don't we get started? For this episode, I'm heading to the Zero Waste Zone at the Waitakere Refuse and Recycling Centre. I'll be talking to Perul Sood, General Manager of Waste Solutions at Auckland Council, and Michelle Blau, General Manager at the not-for-profit organisation Fair Food. We'll be discussing the road to zero waste and how we can all reduce our waste and what that means for us as a city when it comes to climate action. Kia ora. we're recording from the Zero Waste Zone, a community education hub at the Waitakere Refuse and Recycling Transfer Station. The people here are committed to keeping materials in circulation to reduce the waste that goes to landfill. I'm delighted to be joined today by Perul and Michelle. Perul is the General Manager of Waste Solutions at Auckland Council, and Michelle is the General Manager of Fair Food. Uh, thank you both for being here today. Kia ora. Kia ora. Perul, um, we're really in, you know, your backyard, well, not yours personally, but um, the centre here comes under your purview. Can you tell us a bit, or rather, our, can you tell our listeners a bit about where we're sitting at the moment and what we can see and hear around us? Um, it is literally my backyard. I'm actually a Westie. Um, and also, I've had a really long relationship with the, this facility here. So I've been working in the waste space since 2003. That's when I came to New Zealand. And this has been in place way before that as well. So where you are at the moment is a zero waste zone. Uh, and this has come leaps and bounds from when I started working in the waste space. Uh, if you look around, you'll see a lot of the upgrades that have been done here is from material that's been taken off the tipping floor. So it's stuff that people have dropped off and they've thought, oh, can't do anything with it. And we've just made this amazing learning center here out of that. What you also have on the same facility is an amazing shop, uh, which is called Tipping Point, and I would encourage your listeners to come and visit us and for a really cool experience. And of course, the other bit of it is um, you can dump your rubbish here as well, mm. which is not what we really want, but would encourage you to come and see us. Cool, very good. And I'm really loving the, there's a giant cow that's probably, you know, well over six feet tall, made out of rubbish bins and You've got a, is it a bicycle that you can ride? And what happens to the water when you ride the bicycle? I would challenge you to have a go at it. <laughs> you do break into a bit of a sweat trying yeah. to do that. So that's, again, a rescued cycle, yeah. uh, exercise cycle that we've put in there. Yeah. Uh, we've made this place a bit of fun for kids to come over. So when you do ride the bike, the water flows through and there's a bit of a water cycle going on uh, that kids really love. And yes, the cow is uh, something that we got done from one of our suppliers to showcase all the bin sizes. But you also have have composting and mm -hmm. you've got worms that kids can come and play with. Wonderful. And and then we've got, a, is it a transfer station down there? That we, there's a bit of noise coming through. What's that that we're hearing? So you will have a lot of big trucks coming through. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the collections for curbside rubbish, your rubbish bin that you put out for collection comes through here. Uh, it has a transfer function where you consolidate the material, consolidate all the waste that's going to landfill into big trucks that goes from here as well. We try and recover as much as possible, mm. but there's some stuff you just can't do anything with. 
Wonderful. Well, we'll talk a bit more about that um, a little bit later on. But Michelle, um, tell us about your nine to five at Fair Food. What is Fair Food? Um, how long have you been around for and what do you do? Yeah, so Fair Food is Auckland's original food rescue charity. So our nine to five is probably more like a six to six. Um, our drivers start in the morning and head to the growers and the grocers and the manufacturers and take the fresh foods that would otherwise be going to landfill. Uh, bring it back to our hub in Avondale where an awesome group of volunteers come and sort it. And um, we go through about a uh, thousand kilograms a day of food and get it straight back out to the community the next morning through about 50 charity partners. Pretty big enterprise um, and so wonderful that you've been keeping it going. And I think um, in many ways with the two of you, we've kind of got two sides of the same coin, right? We've got the food waste and the non-food waste both kind of around the same table here and we're very lucky for that. Pearl, I want to start by talking about recycling It feels like everyone knows that recycling is really good for the environment, and if you can get multiple uses out of something, that's always better than single use. But when it comes to the hierarchy of how we should be reducing emissions, where does recycling fit in? Yeah, so recycling isn't the answer to everything. And I think people just feel good about recycling because that's an easy thing for us to do. And don't get me wrong, it is an important thing to do for sure because it does keep... Um, inert materials out Mm. of being used as well. However, if we can start thinking about when you go buy something, do I really need this item? Can I buy something secondhand? Uh, And have your entire thought process for shopping changed? That is where you need to start. Mm. How do I reduce what I need uh, by either buying secondhand or repurposed or even sharing with your friends, right? Mm. So think from that perspective rather than thinking, oh, doesn't matter, I'll recycle at the end of it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And is there a parallel there, Michelle, to how we should be shopping for food as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, We talk about food in terms of a food waste hierarchy. And so the best thing to do is to not create waste. Mm. And that's true across any waste stream. And then the second best thing is to do the most with the waste that you've got. And then to, you know, repurpose it in the case of compost or feeding pigs or, you know, anything like that. Um, And we always want landfill to be the last resort. Uh, It's especially true, I think, for food waste because it breaks down as methane, which is a huge, potent greenhouse gas. And so um, if we're leaving it around or taking it to landfill, then it has a direct impact on that ozone layer. So just because it's biodegradable doesn't necessarily mean that that's something we can just afford to throw out and have kind of no other impacts, is it? Um, says something about leftovers too, right? Like just eating those leftovers probably goes a, a really long way. Perul, what are the most common types of waste that you see coming through here at the centre and what are you doing about maybe trying to reduce that? You name it and we get it here. Oh, yeah? <laughs> so I think this attracts a lot of different kinds of materials because we have residential waste that comes through your rubbish bins, but we also have commercial waste that comes through here as well. And sometimes people put the weirdest things in their bins. I mean, we've had a situation where somebody filled their entire recycling bin with meat waste, and it was obviously a butcher. And what were they thinking, really? But yeah. they do have all sorts of things that can come through. And I've talked about samurai swords in your mm-hmm. recycling bin. What 
what were you thinking? It's not going to be recycled, really. But people have um, this thing about wish cycling. They think maybe if I put it in my recycling bin, somebody's going to use it, uh, but it doesn't get used. What we're doing about it is um, it's not just this facility. I think council's um, vision is for a zero waste Auckland. Uh, and that is something we cannot do by ourselves. And uh, Michelle is somebody I've known for a while. And it's great to see her leading the charge at Fair Food. Mm. You know, something that we need the community to join us with in terms of reducing not only food waste, electronic waste, construction and demolition waste. Just look around you. The city is growing. We're building so many things. Are we doing it the right way? You know, are we designing out waste in that process when we're building a house? So there are a lot of elements that we are working on, which I can probably go on and on about uh, for quite a long time. Uh, but, it, but it is really interesting that, in my mind, I see a lot of shift mm. that's coming through not only community, but also through central government. So really exciting times to be in. You'll, um, you'll have to give us the name of that butcher. We'll take, we'll take that. I was going to say, is that the kind of thing that if you've got, so obviously with food rescue, I imagine that it's edible food that comes through, but maybe it's sort of a package is damaged or something, right? But when you come to something like, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, but um, when it comes to something like a bin full of, I don't know, meat waste, like what happens there when it comes to you? Yeah, we hand sort 100% of what we get. Yeah. Thank you, volunteers. Um, yeah. And that's why, yeah. is to figure out, um, you know, obviously like best before is like, it's a myth, yeah. you know, like your nose is your best before. Uh-huh. And so, um, but as a retailer, you might not want to keep those things on the shelf. And so if you're a butcher shop and you can sell something for more, then you want to do that. And so for them, the cost makes it not worth it. And so the natural place in their mind is just the bin. But if you're hungry and you're trying to figure out how to make ends meet, you know, best before is a luxury and having good, totally edible, cookable, fresh, you know, um, milk that's still got a week on it, butter that's still got a month on it, um, it's worth it to have that. And so uh, we take responsibility for checking the food, making sure that it's good. Because also, if you're kind of having a crappy life, you don't want food that makes you feel crappier. So um, it's important to us as a West Auckland you know, group of neighbors that we're really giving people things that they're happy for and that they want to get and that they know what to do with. And so um, we will gladly take meat and dairy. And I think also for other, your more traditional um, food services and food banks, it can be quite a burden having fresh stuff because how do you get it straight out the door by the next day? And how do you make sure that it's staying good? But for us, that's all we do. So Um, we can take your meat and your dairy and we'll take every banana and we'll decide it when it's too brown. And um, we also have a kitchen on site. And so, you know, if half the carrot um, has lost its love, but the other half is still nice and uh, crunchy, then we'll take that half and cut it up and make a stew and get that out the door. Um, and then everything that we really is not edible um, luckily, pigs are a lot less discerning. So <laughs> we have a pig farm that will take the stuff that um, humans won't. Yes. So I think for food waste, it is really critical to have um, a bit of a staged approach. So I think the top of it is to 
educate people on love, food, hate, waste kind of a scenario. So buy the right quantum that you need. Uh, know what you're buying and don't overbuy. And the next level is definitely food rescue. You know, if you can't use it, please give it to organizations such as Fair Food that can use it. Uh, and they do such an amaz amazing job with it. So, you know, think about what can that resource do for somebody else. Absolutely. Next layer down is, okay, I have created waste with my food. I can't do anything with it. Try and deal with it on site. That is your house. Can you compost it? Can you do worm farming with it? And then next level down is if you can't do any of that, uh, Auckland Council is bringing a service for you. So, hey, just look out for the Food Scraps Collection Service. That was a smooth segue. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more about that. Uh, so we've been working on this collection service for years now, and I'm so... Um, thrilled to say that it's finally on our doorsteps. So um, next year we would be starting to roll out the service across the urban parts of Auckland. We have uh, the service in Papakura and parts of North Shore at the moment um, and as part of the service every urban resident would get uh, a 23 litre bin which is comparable comparable in terms of quite small in terms of what your recycling bin is that's about 240 liters so it's not huge uh, but it's designed specifically to be small so that you don't end up putting wrong items in it um, that collection will be every week so we'll take it away every week from your curbside and take it to uh, an anaerobic digestion plant which is again a first for New Zealand what is so, that? So it's, um, it's a plant that, it's another way of uh, dealing to food scraps or making energy and a digestate out of it. So it, it is a plant that's completely enclosed. Uh, it creates biogas, which is not emitted into the, land, uh, into the atmosphere. And the beauty of the plant that we will send our food scraps to is in Reparoa, which not only caters for Auckland's food scraps, but to, for organics that are generated on the North Island, so it can take more. And also it's right next to um, Turners and Grows. So they actually feed the gas into their tomato uh, hothouses. And I've seen those hothouses. They grow some real awesome tomatoes. Wow. So real circle of life stuff there. Like Absolutely. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And the digestate of the, the nutrients that will come out of the plant will yeah. also be able to use it on farm. Yeah. So it's a really good circle of solution yeah, that yeah. we've managed to um, have. So Auckland that's interesting. So it's Auckland households through this scheme um, can participate and essentially, I guess, uh, would it be cutting down on emissions? Would that be kind of the, one of the big kind of outcomes of it and sort of rechanneling that into food growth, really, food production? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That that is the idea, and a lot of people ask us, "What is the carbon yeah, savings? Yeah. You know, why are you doing this? You're putting more trucks yeah. on, and you're are you creating more carbon emissions by doing this?" And the we've done the numbers, and I think the benefit you get from diverting food scraps out of landfill and putting it to uh, beneficial reuse is much higher. Uh, and I think the numbers that the team talks to me about is approximately twenty five thousand tons per year of carbon uh, savings. So I think it's not a small number to be sneezed at. Um, and we're also working to look at, once you've got your food scraps collections, can you live with a fortnightly rubbish collection? Now here's an idea. So you don't have a weekly rubbish collection. So it's going to make you think, how do I recycle better? And how do I use my food scraps bin better? And maybe how do I buy better so that I don't fill my rubbish bin every week? So some things that the council's working towards. It's very exciting. And when does that roll out? So we start rolling out in April 2023, mm -hmm. and we're hoping to finish it in that calendar. Nice. And so where in Auckland will that start from? So we're just working through the timeline at the moment, but uh, Waitakere, North Shore would be where we start and then roll out to Auckland, Manukau, going down south. 
Excellent. And talking of sort of geographic locations with fair food, so it's very much for the West, by the West, isn't it? Do you want to tell us a bit more about sort of how community solutions kind of work and why you've continued to have it sort of in the West? Yeah, for us, it really is mutual aid. It's our neighbors. It's, you know, food that's um, just today, somebody dropped off three gorgeous bags of limes um, and they were from the neighborhood, you know, and those will go straight out to other people. I think hunger can be an invisible problem. Um, You know, 40% of Kiwis actually experience food insecurity. It's one in five kids in New Zealand. And so it's something that is very, very present in our community. And West Auckland demographically does have a high need. And it also is a community. I mean, I live there because of the aroha that people show to each other because of the strong environmental commitment. And it's so present in our, um, in our schools and our neighborhoods and how we treat each other. And so, um, you know, taking care of each other through food is just a natural extension of, I think, how people live, you know, when something bad happens in your life and someone brings you a casserole or someone drops off groceries or, you know, we've had to experience it a lot with COVID where all of a sudden you're housebound for seven days and what do you do? And we're certainly baking more cakes as a family or dropping off more lasagnas or things like that. And I think that that sense of shared food is just really grounding for people, but it's also uh, just rooted in reality. If you're a minimum wage worker and you're paying medium median rent in Auckland, you have $115 left a week after you've paid rent. That is nothing. You know, forget about the internet bill, forget about a phone plan, forget about, you know, which utility you pay each week. And, you know, food ends up being the flexible item for a lot of people. And so if you've only got a hundred bucks and you've got to figure out where to put it and then your kid loses their school jacket or wants to play netball or um, wants to go somewhere that you haven't budgeted the petrol or the bus pass for, mom doesn't eat. And that's just the reality for far too many people in our community. And so, you know, we expect to deliver 75,000 meals this winter, which is amazing and great. And when you think about those meals were on their way to the landfill um, beforehand, it's really exciting that we're able to do that. But it is also um, astonishing that in a country that produces enough food for 40 million, we still have 40 percent who really aren't getting it. Yeah, that's that's pretty astounding, isn't it? And um, and at the same time, each year we send more than 1.6 million tons of waste to landfill in mm-hmm. Auckland, which is about a ton per person. Mm-hmm. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I understand that it's households aren't actually the biggest contributor to waste. Um, are you both able to tell me who is and what we need to do about that? Yeah, so households, the waste that comes from your residential property or as a household is about 15%, okay. 15 to 20% of what goes to landfill. Right. As, as you can imagine, the big chunk of it is from construction and demolition. So that's the stuff that's actually has got more weight and it's big. But in terms of, I guess, in terms of what has an impact on the environment and on the social impact on where we live, is probably the food isn't it? It's the organic side of things that goes into landfill. There is a lot, as I said, to be done with the big bulky uh, materials that are going in, uh, um, in terms of construction and demolition. Uh, But we can't forget what we do as individuals as well. Mm, No, absolutely. And then I guess on that same train of thought, Michelle, you were mentioning when we were chatting earlier that um, a lot of your food rescue actually comes from 
um, supermarkets and producers and things like that. And I suppose if you weren't rescuing it, would that food also be going to kind of waste on mass? Is that um, would that be correct? Yeah, if we weren't taking it, it's on its way to the landfill. Although I do know that a lot of industries are getting better about composting yeah. and other solutions, but um, there, it wouldn't be eaten. And yeah. so it misses the opportunity to feed someone. And, you know, at the household level, uh, kiwis do waste over a billion dollars worth of food that they actually bought and then throw away uneaten. And um, I was doing the math on it um, thinking about West Auckland, and that's enough food to feed West Auckland for more than two years. So to think that out of our own, you know, just our own kind of, oh, that banana's a little too brown for me, or I got that food box, but then I went and ate out, you know, um, just at that level, we could feed West Auckland for more than two years. And of course, as a Westie, I have to just say that, you know, West Auckland is quite big. Like if we were a city, we'd be in the top five, you know, mm-hmm. we're bigger than Hamilton, bigger than Dunedin, you know, and proudly part of the wider Auckland fauna. But, um, you know, it's a quite a large area with quite a lot of need. And when you think about um, just how much food is out there that just isn't meeting that need. It's exciting for us that we get to be that in between and, you know, rescue it straight from the, um, you know, trip to landfill and instead get it straight to someone who's happy to eat it. Mm. So for that, we were talking about the staged approach earlier in terms yeah. of what you can do with food waste that's coming out of supermarkets, for example. Mm-hmm. And I know that there is a, an organization that's making um, beer out of old bread. You know, that's straight coming from a supermarket, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So if they can't give it to Michelle, if Michelle doesn't have capacity to take all that bread, here is another enterprise that's making beer out of it and then putting the material that's coming out of that back into bread as well. So that's quite a nice circular way of doing it. And I feel we need all those solutions to deal with what we are producing at the moment Uh, because you can probably saturate one area otherwise and then you don't have the ability to take care of all the materials that should have been avoided from landfill. So I think having these creative ideas with what can be done is really Mm. important. What's the most creative thing you've, either of you or both of you, have seen done out of waste in your respective areas? Uh, I would say we're pretty creative, yeah. you know, um, the the food that we can cook, the things that we can come up with. Um, I've seen catering, you know, companies. I've seen um, the kind of full range in the food space. We also don't take um, pastries or baked goods or anything from bakeries. And I know that there are some really great groups that do food rescues specifically in that space. And so um, for me, it's the kind of the adding up of all the different folks um, and the great things that they're doing. And outside of the food space, like there's some amazing stuff happening in construction and demolition. There are groups that will come and, you know, take it apart nail by wood by nail and save every last bit of it. And when I see some of the stats actually from Auckland Council about what they're able to um, divert in their own demolition projects, it's overwhelming. Like the city rail link, I think is like 90 something percent of waste saved from landfill on that project. And that's massive in terms of scale. Um, you know, those are the things that fill a landfill more than food. 98% I think Michelle yeah it's unbelievable <laughs> it is quite good it is yeah I think we're quite proud of that one and I think creativity runs in all aspects or all types of the materials that we deal to I mean look at this place here Yeah. you know yeah. I think uh, it is very thought provoking for people who come here because they see oh my god there's a uh, there's so many um, 
golf clubs that we use yeah, and don't nice. use and chuck them out. So I think it just makes you think, how much do we consume mm. and how much do we actually get rid of? So, um, yeah. So talking about Auckland Council moving the region towards zero waste by 2040, uh, what else is happening in that space to get us there that we haven't touched on yet today? As I said, this is something we can't do by ourselves. So yeah. we do a lot of work with our um, social enterprise sector. Uh, and something that we are working on is establishing a resource recovery network, which is uh, a collective of community recycling centres that will be sprinkled all over Auckland, 21 in total for now. And we've just recently opened one in Onehunga on Friday. And you could feel the sense of enthusiasm in the community there that were there for the opening. Mm-hmm. And Michelle was there as well. Uh, so it was great to have you there, Michelle. Uh, and we're looking forward to working with you on any food that comes through there as well. <laughs> I know it's an Onehunga, it's not West, but, you know. You... We got a lot of the stuff from our for our actual facility is from the Tipping Point Community Recycling Centre. So I can attest <laughs> high quality, you know, desks and chairs and the rest of it. Yeah, so it's th- that project or that vision for having facilities really easily accessible for Aucklanders is a key vision because a lot of times I get people calling and saying I've got this couch which looks perfectly fine but I I have bought a new one what do I do with it and they don't know what to do with it and just having that information for people to go this is what you can do this is who you can call do the right thing with it so it's just that would be awesome Mm, no definitely so then if we just sort of capture what sort of the average Aucklander should be thinking about to be sort of part of all of this and make a real difference. It's if I've got both of you right, it's buy less or be more discerning about what you buy. And then in terms of when you do have waste, try to reuse or repurpose as much as you can. And then your kind of almost final port of call is bring it into, if it's food, bring it into a food rescue. If it's uh, non-food, bring it into uh, facilities such as this. I have, is there anything we're missing in that sort of very broad three-pronged <laughs> I, I also, rule of thumb? I also think uh, think about buying quality as well. And I know yeah. it's hard sometimes because things that are quality sometimes. are expensive. Yeah. yeah, But then you can go into looking for that second-hand option, right? Yeah. So if you want quality, think about can I look at you know portals that have got second-hand things mm. and there's, there's a whole uh, concept of shared economy that's coming you know can you lease items mm. do you need to own everything that you've got you know think about how can you do that so there are a few concepts that people can try and not have this thing about owning everything yeah and as kiwis we do have a real culture of kind of ownership don't we we really want to know that we have complete rights over everything that we have and there might be a little bit of a mind shift there that's required Michelle, you talked about best before dates and the, the sniff test. Can you explain to our listeners kind of the difference between best before, used by, and expiry um, and how to work their way around that? Yeah. I mean, your nose is definitely your best, um, your best before. Yeah. And so if it has to be used by or expires, then we recommend that you not give it a go because that terminology has been used specifically but if it's like beautiful by or you know at its best by um, those are really quite subjective and you can really get a sense for yourself if the hummus tastes good it probably is if the milk is not funky then you're good to go if it's a little funky makes a great buttermilk go ahead and you know whip up a cake or do something else with it Um, there is a lot more latitude there than I think 
the date would leave you to believe. Yeah. Um, and the freezer is your best friend. You know, it is such a great food rescue thing right there in your own fridge. And so if you cook something and you don't want to take it for lunch, pop it in the freezer and you'll be thrilled when you find it a week later. Or if you like really great fresh bread, but you're the only one in your house who eats it, put half the loaf in the freezer you know, pop it in the fridge when you're ready to eat it again. It will taste just as good or better. You know, same thing with a banana. Bananas make amazing ice cream, great smoothies. You can take them peel and all, chop them up, stick them in your freezer. You know, um, I think about strawberries and how people will pay $15 for a plastic bag of frozen strawberries. And then when strawberries are in season and they're, you know, a couple bucks, you can't get through them fast enough. It's like you you can freeze those. Like you don't have to get them from a grocery store. Like yeah. it's not it's not a really fancy process to do that. Like you can <laughs> yeah. do it yourself. And then, yeah. um, you know, and if it makes you feel better to put it in a little cardboard box or a fancy plastic bag so that, you know, it feels official to you, um, be my guest. But, you know, it's the same great food and um, those sorts of things. You can save $1,000 off your grocery bill just by kind of meal planning, just by having a list. Even if you're not like, I'm not a great grocery shopper. And so my list is really kind of suggestive. Um, but even by having one, it cuts down on your grocery bill quite considerably. And by doing that little step of looking in the pantry before you go and saying, okay, what do I already have? If I have four jars of peanut butter, even if it's on sale, I can probably go ahead and skip that. Or if I have a ton of greens, then you know I can already enjoy the fact that those are taking on new life in my produce drawer. I don't need to you know compound that with the next thing of kale. And so it feels small when you're doing it, but it really does add up. Um, Globally, food waste is four times the emissions of aviation. So when you think about all the hype around flying, which is, you know, a big emitter, uh, but it's, you know, food is way up there. It's on par with road transport globally in terms of the carbon footprint and the emissions. So whatever we can do to not waste it, to not have it be picked by somebody, be watered, be grown, be driven somewhere to be made beautiful, to sit in a fridge, to then be picked up by you, to then, you know, put in a landfill. It's just an awful lot of activity. It's a waste, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I it's think a waste, waste would be the perfect word. That. It's a waste <laughs> of that whole chain, isn't it, to get mm-hmm. there and then not be consumed by anyone. You might as well have not grown that particular article of food, right? Absolutely. Um, And which is where I suppose the scheme from next year, I guess council's own food rescue scheme in some ways or or curbside rescue scheme is going to be helping with that whole, um, with the reducing emissions. Um, That's astounding about aviation. I didn't know that. So that's quite astounding and kind of goes to show how much of a dent we'll be making um, in that problem. Okay. Well, imagine it's 2050. And the work that you've been doing, you've sort of hit gold standard. People are dealing with their waste responsibly and everything that you've wanted to achieve in your roles, you're sort of, you know, they, you've hit the mark. What does Auckland in 2050 in that situation look like to you? Paint us a picture. <laughs> so I guess from a, from a waste perspective, there yeah. would be no word as waste. Yeah. We would be talking about resources, right? Yeah. Uh, we would have um, no landfills in operation, so mm-hmm. no active landfills. We would have facilities that are right next to where you are, mm-hmm. that you can actually take your um, 
fridge that you no longer need anymore but can be either repaired, restored or given to somebody else. So there's a bit of a circular uh, thing going on there. Um, and you, the, I guess the, the main thing for me is the cultural shift. Mm-hmm. The thought process has changed for people. Uh, and it's no longer a battle to keep going on and on about waste minimization and how it's a great thing. So I think when people realize it themselves and they take the right actions to make it happen, um, that's when we know we've arrived. Cool. I love that. Um, I'm here for that future. And I would say that for us in the food space, it's food sovereignty. It's people having enough, having the foods they like, having them locally in season. You know, we have some of the best soil in the world in Auckland, and I would love to see it growing things that people want and getting to their plates and having that food security and having that control over their food um, all the way across New Zealand. One key thing about food waste, it's not just what's coming at the end of it. It's actually within the entire system. So we lose a lot of food while we're producing it as well. What do you mean? When Mm -hmm. you have a a farmer who grows potatoes, for Mm -hmm. example, if a potato doesn't look a certain way, it'll go into the waste bin. So you have to grow produce which is, which looks good, which appeals to people. So there's a lot of movement around perfectly imperfect kind of a scenario. If an apple doesn't look beautiful, doesn't mean it has to hit the rubbish bin. So you've got grades of produce that then get going into the supermarket because the ones that look perfect, because you will go, oh, that looks really nice, I'm going to buy this. Something that doesn't look good gets shunned. And so then I you get used to just seeing perfect apples exactly. at the supermarket. Exactly. And it kind yeah. of gives you a warped view of, of produce, doesn't it? Because exactly. then you start to go, that's what all apples look like when yep. really yeah. there's a... So in that situation with growers, I guess, you would be mm-hmm. you'd be rescuing the not-so-pretty Exactly. Produce. We we don't mind if your lime is a little bumpy. We don't mind yeah. if your potato is the wrong shape. You know, um, We definitely welcome all that. And there is a group in Auckland, Perfectly Imperfect, that are great. They have a little pop-up shop in, I think it's in Oi Raka, in the Mount Albert area, um, that specializes in that and does that gleaning of the harvest to take the things that were, you know, the pepper's too small, the carrot has two yep. legs instead of one. And, and I think that as consumers, we really can do a better job of not kind of you know, reaching to the back to get the one that's going to last the longest if you know you're going to eat it in the next few days or not getting the shiniest capsicum or, you know, any of those things. Because um, often, you know, with it is a little bit more brown, it's just sweeter. Like it's sugar that is creating that um, change in how it looks. And so um, it might be better. You know, a smaller avocado is a delicious avocado. And so if we take those things and enjoy them, then we are creating less waste overall. Mm -hmm. And And I think the carbon emissions relating to food also relate to what you eat. I mean, that's that Mm -hmm. whole argument between meat and vegetarian. That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole (laughs) another thing. But I mean, I know that uh, London has looked at that in terms of what is the food system? Mm -hmm. What are are they consuming? Mm -hmm. And where can they make the most savings? And of course, they'll tell you to go vegetarian. That's not a a choice that everybody likes to make. But whether you reduce your meat consumption by a certain amount helps with carbon as well. So it's quite a complex uh, system that we look at when we think about food systems. Mm -hmm. uh, And how do you reduce waste in the entire system? But then you think about carbon side, from the carbon perspective, what is more carbon intensive to grow? You know, whether it's um, cattle or 
growing carrots. So it's just those are concepts as well. And so then it's at quite the same complex. time, I suppose you balance that against other aspects around climate change, like water use, right? So, for example, you might go, let's let's swap out meat for, I don't know, I think I read recently that the South Island is looking at growing Almonds, for example, and while almonds are not meat, we know that almonds are very, very water, um, like heavy uses of water, right? So it's not this kind of straight swap, those sort of carbon emissions and then balancing that against kind of things like water use, which I guess is another sort of form of waste where if you're going, hey, I've grown an ugly potato, well, the water that went into growing that potato has just gone to waste, hasn't Correct. it? So, yep. so there's yep. a lot to unpack there. I do think we might need another whole session on, <laughs> on food systems. This is getting very, very interesting. Mm. Thank you so much, Perul and Michelle, for coming in um, and sitting with us on this beautiful day at the Zero Waste Zone. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you. Kia Thank you. That was such an insightful chat with two incredible wahine leaders in the world of zero waste. The Waitakere transfer station really feels like more than just a transfer station. It's a place that's taking real climate action. Plus, there's an op shop filled with everything you can think of, from clothes to bikes to kitchen blenders, as well as the amazing zero waste zone we just recorded our conversation in. I'm excited to see what this place might look like in 2050. Now is a podcast brought to you by Auckland Council, hosted by Tremanthes and Halagay Fonseca, produced by T. Ihe Butler with project management by Eden French Putu and series production by Jane Yi. And a special shout out to our friends at Rollercoaster for building our park bench portable studio.